Welcome to Office Hours with Dr. Mario, the podcast designed to teach professionals how to discover their path to living a more fulfilling life. In each episode, Dr. Mario teaches professionals how to successfully cross the intersection of growth and change so they can step into the next chapter of life with the mindset, skills, and tools they need to live the life of their dreams. So if you're feeling like you're stuck or your life is off track and you're ready to make changes, this podcast was created just for you. Now here's your host, lifelong learner, professional coach, and speaker, Dr. Mario Jackson. Welcome to the Office Hours podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you're enjoying the podcast, please be sure to leave a review, subscribe, and share it with others. I'd love to keep our conversations going on social media, and you can follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Office Hours Dr. Mario. And remember, that's doctor abbreviated without the period. Let me know what topics you'd like for me to cover on the show. You can also record and leave me a voicemail with your questions and comments. Just click on the link that I've included here in the episode description. Now, today I'm super excited to interview Dr. Stephen Abbott. Stephen and I became friends when I lived in Washington, D.C. We've shared so many conversations about our life's goals, and he was a major support when I decided to change my life and move to Puerto Rico. I wanted to pick his brain about why he decided to become a doctor, his medical experience, and the life transitions that he's experienced. Here's a little bit more about Dr. Abbott. He's board certified in internal medicine and infectious diseases and is a graduate of the Medical Center of Virginia at Virginia Commonwealth University, where he trained in combined medicine and pediatrics at the University of Maryland Medical Systems and Infectious Diseases at Georgetown University Washington Hospital Center. Dr. Abbott has been practicing since 2010, specializing in the care of persons living with HIV and AIDS and or hepatitis. He has served as principal investigator on the National Institutes of Health and George Washington University's DC cohort longitudinal HIV study, which aims to improve the quality of care and treatment of HIV-infected patients at large clinics in the District of Columbia. So without further ado, here's my interview with Dr. Stephen Abbott. All right. Well, welcome to the show, Dr. Abbott. I'm so glad you could be here today. I've already told the audience a little bit about you in the trailer, but could you tell them a little bit more about yourself, something interesting that they might not know about you? So thank you. Good to be here. Uh, My name is Stephen Abbott. I'm a physician. My preferred pronouns are he and him. Um, I live in Washington, D.C., work at a federally qualified healthcare center doing predominantly HIV care. Um, One thing that people may not know about me is that I am obsessed with triathlon um, to the point that (laughs) it's become a second career. Um, I really enjoy long bike rides in the outdoors, swimming in the open water, Um, I'm learning to become a better runner and actually enjoy running. And I found that there are other people like myself who enjoy challenging themselves to go further, longer and harder. And um, the the wonderful thing about triathlon is that the community is very supportive and encouraging. And it was an unexpected surprise that I learned on my first, first race five years ago. 
So how, how have things changed for you since that first race five years ago? What, what are some of the highlights or accomplishments that you're most proud of when it comes to your running abilities? Each year I've gone a little bit further. Each year I've um, found that there's something you can improve on and there are ways to get better. And it's um, a fun outdoor sport. I don't have any expectations of winning prize money or you know qualifying for any sort of championship. It really is a personal challenge, but you get the support of a community. And it's competitive, but you don't... Um, but you're really competing with yourself. And I think that's one of the things I like most about it. Um, so while I'm a strong swimmer and a decent cyclist, I've, also, I've had to improve on running and I've done that with a treadmill this year, but you don't expect perfection. You just look for some improvement. And if you stick with it, you get better. I think before when I was working out, there wasn't necessarily a goal or a destination. And now I was given purpose and intention to how I work out, which, the, which is, made the workout seem more like play and less like work. That's amazing. I'm, I'm totally not a runner. So I envy people who not only can run, but love to do it. And it sounds like you have a good community of support there um, with your colleagues. So that really leads me into uh, my next question, which is digging into like how you got on this path to becoming a physician. Can you tell the audience a little bit about that? And in particular, what's one thing you wish you had known before you made that decision? So my decision was really delayed. I was an atypical, unusual, older uh, medical student. I had seven years between undergrad and medical school, in part because I wasn't sure that I was really cut out to be a physician, not so much be a physician, but make it through medical school. I think part of that was I wasn't able to vision it. I didn't see it until, um, and if you don't see it, you don't believe it, and then you don't pursue it. So my cousin actually got into medical school and I knew I was at least as smart as he was. We <laughs> were able to do it. And there was a little com competition there. I mean, we grew up together. He was a year ahead of me in uh, his academic education. But when he got into medical school and we talked about it, he was incredibly supportive and uh, connected me with people in the administration at his med school. And I ended up um, applying seven years after I completed a biology degree. So um, because I wasn't a pre-med major, I had to go actually back into the classroom. Oh, wow. Some classes and take the MCAT. And then I made the mistake um, of not, in, not talking to my undergrad pre-med advisor at the time that I applied, because I felt like she was only there for people who were currently enrolled and on campus. I didn't realize I could reach back as a as an alum and ask for help. So my application came together haphazardly and it, you really want to be actually presenting a portfolio, a nicely organized package with a letter from the pre-med advisor and all of your recommendation scores and all that um, in one package when you submit it to the, the whatever school you're applying to. Mine did not look like that. It was like <laughs> haphazard and scattered and um, <laughs> letters from various employers and my master's uh, advisor. So um, I know now that one of the reasons why I didn't get in the first time I applied is because I didn't understand the system and I didn't take advantage of the support that was there for me because I mm. was unaware of it and I didn't ask. 
So the okay. second time around, um, I retook the MCAT, improved my scores and used the med school advisor um, for my undergrad. And I got into seven schools with two scholarships. And I have oh, to wow. tell you, I was not dramatically different between the first time I applied and the second time I applied. It's just the second time I applied, my the process was much, uh, I was more well put together. It was more professional mm -hmm. and I understood how to apply. Like there's always a how to do whatever it is you right. want to do. And if you don't know how to do it and you just try to plow through it without asking for help. I mean, it's the same thing with triathlon. If you just get out there and try to finish the race without any preparation, it's not going to go so well. I tried to apply to med school without understanding the process. Right. And when yeah. you understand the process and you ask for help, it, it, it will go a lot more smoothly. It, that's a really excellent point. It's one that I, I try to express to a lot of the clients that I work with that anytime you're doing something, especially for the first time, you're kind of operating in the gray. Mm -hmm. Right. And a lot of us have these expectations that we're supposed to nail it on the first go around. Mm -hmm. Right. And then when that doesn't happen, the disappointment sets in and some of us like to retreat back to our corners and, you know, just throw in the towel and say we're done. So it's really interesting that you talk about how you went through that, that discovery process of figuring out the, the how to the what that you wanted. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's an important lesson that I think we can all identify with on, on at some level, but it's going through that process more than once that really gives you your chops and helps you come out on the other side of, of that challenge, understanding what you've learned and what you now need to take forward with you. But I want to go back to something that you, you mentioned about this whole process of you, you know, going off to med school. You, you mentioned that you started a little bit later than most traditional uh, students would. What were you doing in that space between finishing your, your undergraduate studies or your graduate studies and then going into deciding to make that decision to go to med school? So undergrad was uh, four years in a very small school in a small town in Massachusetts. I spent all four years on campus. I didn't go abroad uh, like a lot of other people did their third year. And I regretted that. And I knew that... Um, when I graduated, I wanted to spend a year abroad, preferably in some country where folks spoke Spanish before I committed to either graduate school or a career, because I knew that once I got into either grad school or started down the career path, I wouldn't have the opportunity to do that again. Um, so five days after graduation, I sold my car and I bought a ticket to Costa Rica and I got a, <laughs> on oh, a plane. Wow. Um, and I made it work. It actually, you know, sometimes when you step out on faith and um, pursue a passion or an interest, things will just present themselves when you need them. Like I, in this case, I did not have a concrete plan. I had a few job leads, but um, kept my heart and mind open. And when I got there, I ended up finding a job different than the job that I was intending on um, applying for. But it ended up being an experience that lasted almost two years when I had given myself just six months to make it work. And um, I eventually realized it was time to come home. And um, that's when I went back to school. When I went back to school for a master's degree, I was working at a hospital and all of the doctors I worked with were would ask me like, why aren't you in med school? <laughs> so um, <laughs> that was really that. And the combination of my cousin getting into school really, um, 
made it, it allowed me to believe that it was something I could achieve. Where before then, there was a lot of doubt in undergrad about whether or not I wanted to be a doctor, what it meant to uh, accumulate that kind of debt. Um, yeah. Healthcare was um, being revised in a lot of different ways. Um, so there were there there was a lot of uh, naysayers who said you should go into business or go into research. You know, healthcare is not going to be the same in ten years. But um, it's what I wanted to do, and I wish I had not listened to those negative comments. Um, but I am glad I had the time between undergrad and med school to pursue other interests before committing to what ended up being actually it's an eight-year journey because there's med school then residency. So right, um, right. it all worked out in the end. I'm not. Um, I didn't feel like I was an old man in med school. There were other people in my class who were also coming from other experiences. One woman was a CEO at Circuit City who just didn't oh, want wow. to be in business anymore. Um, she actually worked as an EMT for a few years. She went and did her uh, pre-med uh, prereqs uh, as in a master's program, and then she applied and she got in. So it's there are many paths to becoming a physician. And I think all too often people don't pursue it because they don't see it. Right. Um, and like I said earlier, if you can't see it, you don't believe it. And then it doesn't happen. So right. it wasn't until I was actually able to see it that I um, actually was successful in doing it. You, you touched on so many things that, that are really live at the heart of why I created this, this podcast. You know, and, and one of them is really trying to help people uh, stay motivated to going, pursuing and going after the things that really bring them joy in life. And far too often we hear that folks just kind of give up on their dreams and they never look back at them until they're in that phase of, of regret. Mm -hmm. You know, several years have passed. Now all of your duties and responsibilities to others have uh, changed as far as your role in that, that exchange between you and your, your family or your colleagues or your spouse, what have you. And you realize that there's still that thing that's missing. So I applaud you for having the insight early on uh, in that process to know that this was something that was really important to you and to, to remain committed. My, my question is when things got tough and challenging how did you keep yourself grounded to really stay focused on that, you know, aha moment where you figured out this is really what I want to do? There was one moment during med school when I thought I was going to walk away. And it was during uh, our first year when we were studying anatomy and I failed the first anatomy test. And I, it, I failed it for multiple reasons. One, I didn't prepare Two. I didn't like the class. I mean, it's very easy to avoid something when you don't like it. Right. And then um, I, I uh, so there's a part of the test that was written and then there was a part of the test that was like identifying structures on a cadaver. And I just, I, I, I don't like cadavers. It was, it, what I like is infections and immunology and pharmacology. But in order to get to being an infectious disease doctor, you gotta, you gotta, Plow through anatomy. Yes. <laughs> so when I was able to regroup after failing that test, I got a tutor and I re she helped me remember that this was only temporary, that it was just a stepping stone in the bigger picture. And that 
that was something I needed to hear. I think I knew it, but it was helpful to hear it from someone else who, um, mm -hmm. and it, in the end, it didn't really matter what my final anatomy grade was. I just had to get through the course. Right, right. If I wanted to be a surgeon, if I wanted to be a radiologist, that would have been a different story. But um, for me and my long-term goals, that was just a hurdle. And I think oftentimes right. people trip over hurdles and they don't get up. Right, so right. I asked for help, I got the support and I got past that hurdle. And if I never look at another cadaver in my life. <laughs> that would be fine with you. Yes. <laughs> and I think all everyone who goes through med school has that one class that just does not click. That right. like either they, they're intelligent folk, but they may not uh, particularly enjoy a topic. And if you're expected to study long hours and do all this hard work, and it's a topic that you don't enjoy or that you're struggling with, doubt can set in. Mm -hmm. And um, my point is, when you're down, ask for help for somebody and somebody will pick you up. You know, you mentioned some really important things to take away for anyone who's out there that's struggling with the decision to move on to uh, pursuing a dream that they put off for a while or they had to stop and now they're ready to pick it back up. And that's, you need to make progress, right? It doesn't have to always be perfection. And I think that's where a lot of us get caught up, especially us who are, are high achievers. We want everything to be perfect. And when you are aiming for perfection, you're missing the lessons that you're gonna learn along the way on how to improve, which I think is most valuable in, in any circumstance. I've never had a patient ask me what my grade was in anatomy. <laughs> well, that's good. And, and speaking of patients, can you tell us about a patient that, that touched your heart uh, what did you learn from that experience that, that changed you as a person or even the way that you practice medicine? So I see patients who are uh, mostly HIV positive and HIV is, affects ev every segment of the population. Um, I have young men, young gay men, middle-aged women, and then I have an 85-year-old woman. Um, she's been positive for over 20 years. She's survived breast cancer. She's outlived um, all of her 12 siblings. Um, she's managed to live a healthy, happy, and I would say um, grateful life on the verge of poverty. Um, and one day during the pandemic when I was trying to adjust to doing telehealth and worried about, you know, all the death and despair that was going on around me. She stopped a visit and said, you know what, Dr. Abbott, I love you. And it just made me melt because it was a moment when um, I uh -huh. felt not unappreciated, but mm -hmm. I felt like I wasn't able to provide what my patients needed because of the pandemic and the um, in the world at that time. And here was somebody who has all sorts of reasons to be angry, bitter, and fearful, who was right. telling me she wears her mask, stays at home, and she was glad I called and that she loved me. And that sort of like put the whole pandemic in a whole nother perspective. Like um, sometimes you just have to accept the situation and hope for the best. And that's where she was. Yeah, yeah. 
So, and I think that is something that probably she's um, turned to throughout her life with all the different struggles that I know that she's dealt with that I don't think I necessarily would have been able to handle. Right, right. That, that spirit of resilience is so mm -hmm. different um, for people. You know, there are some people who are literally just made to like take the punches and keep rolling. And there are some of us who need a little bit more support, right? Mm -hmm. Need to heal and, and before we can get up and, and get back out there. You know, but the point is you got to keep moving, right? Mm -hmm. it's, you can't stay down forever. You've got to figure out how to get yourself back up and back on that path to achieving what it is that you want to get out of life. And I forgot to talk about Pumpernickel. Before we close out, tell the audience a little bit about uh, my Nicky boy uh, and what having him has really done for you in the way that you approach life now. So Pumpernickel is a, a pit bull rescue from the Humane Rescue Alliance here in DC. Um, I like to say he found me um, as much as I found him. I had been to the Humane Rescue Alliance probably twice before um, I, I uh, saw him online. And actually, once I saw him online, I knew that that was a dog for me. He was somebody who needed a home where he could heal. Um, and at that time, I also needed to do some healing and I healed by helping others. And it just, it turned out that the pandemic hit, everything shut down about four weeks after I brought him home. So it was great to have a companion who likes to hike. Um, he doesn't bark. He, <laughs> he, he eventually learned to cuddle. Um, he's processing yeah. his trauma and watching him heal has really um, helped me heal. And it was unexpected. Like I wanted a dog that would, um, to so I would have somebody to come home to and somebody to play with. And then this is turning into more of a relationship than I ever expected. <laughs> we have our own silent form of communication, you know, every now and then we, one of us will get moody. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's like having another family member. It's not just a dog. So yeah. here's the cutest thing. And I, I've told you on so many occasions, like, you have the most chill dog in the entire world. Like your dog doesn't do any of the stuff that mm -hmm. other people's dogs do, especially annoying stuff like jumping up on you and, you know, barking for, you know, hours on end at something that's not even at the door or outside just to be barking. So you got a very uh, relaxed and chill dog and he's just so cute and adorable. So mm -hmm. uh, I can't wait to see more of those pictures of you guys traveling across the country at the national parks from the, the camper van. That's going to be awesome. My little road dog, my co-pilot. <laughs> exactly, road dog, road Nikki. So I had planned all these questions for you and you've answered <laughs> most of them. Um, but we are at the point of the interview where I like to do this little game called rapid fire questions. Uh oh. All right. So <laughs> I've got a few questions I'm going to ask you. I don't want you to try to, you know, edit and wordsmith. Are right, you ready? Uh huh. What's your biggest pet peeve? Uh, people who are late. Okay. One thing people seem to misunderstand about you uh, that I'm soft. What's the best compliment you've ever received? Uh, you're, I've been told that I'm a good listener. Okay. That's important. And last one, what's your best tip for making the world a better place? 
So can I give a long answer? You know, over the last year, there have been several moments where people have hoarded various products from toilet paper to gasoline. And I, that just amazes me. I just don't understand why particularly humans in America will do that. I just wish people would pause and reset and understand that whatever they need will be provided if they just let go. If you stop trying to create comfort you will find happiness. Unfortunately, the pandemic heightened a lot of the scarcity mindset for people, as mm -hmm. with any kind of natural disaster or you know challenge that we're all facing, and we have to think about allocation of resources. Uh, you know, the whole toilet paper thing, like we know that's going to happen. You know, I remember living in Atlanta, and anytime you said the word snow. Within minutes, there were no eggs, no cheese, no milk. Like, right, everything was just gone from the grocery store. And it's just like, guys, they're just saying it might snow. Like, we're, we're not about to be cut off from the rest of the world. All right, but anyway, we're, we're coming down to our time together. I got one final question for you before you uh, sign off and tell us where we can learn a little bit more about you. What's next for you? Um, you, you have this great range of life experience and insight. How are you going to take some of the life lessons you've learned into the next chapter of your life? So I really want to get outdoors more. Um, I find peace and tranquility when I'm hiking. Um, and I'm trying to learn to minimize. Like I did the whole Marie Kondo thing. Is that her name? Um, I, is if it the sparks life? joy, you keep it. If you don't, yeah. you get rid of it. I want to get down even further. I want to be able to actually live out of a camper van. So one of my wow. fantasies during the pandemic when we were doing mostly telehealth was if I had had a camper van, I could have been traveling from one national park to the next and uh, logging on from Yellowstone to do my job. But um, I, I want to try to spend more time outdoors on the road with my dog and it'll start off on weekends and then long vacations and then who knows, maybe eventually take a, take a year off. I mean, I've, I'm fortunate in that I don't have any debt other than my mortgage and this place could sell very quickly. So my car, the lease was up in, in February. I figured there was no reason to have a car at that point. Turn the lease in and I'm now waiting for a camper van that I ordered. Oh, it wow. Will arrive in September. Oh, wow. Congratulations. Congratulations. You. you have to send pictures so that the, the audience can keep up with you. And definitely if you're going to be doing any traveling, we want to see like where you guys are going. Well, Dr. Abbott, I'm so delighted to have had you here to talk about some of the things that you've gone through in your life and looking forward to those next steps with you as far as getting outdoors more, working on your triathlons. Uh, where can the listeners find, learn a little bit more about you? Are you on social media? I am on Facebook, uh, Stephen Abbott, Washington, DC. I think I'm the only one. And then my, face, uh, my Instagram profile, uh, I'm pretty sure it's public, but it's Tony Stark, T-O-N-E-Y-S-T-A-R-K-E. That's a whole nother episode was where that yes. name came from. Yes. But um, yeah, um, if anybody's got any questions, I'm pretty open about responding to messages regardless of where they come from. Okay, cool. And we'll also leave that in the episode description so folks can get in contact with you. Well, All right. Thank you. Yeah.
Thank you so much. It's been a wonderful conversation. And I definitely look forward to staying in touch with you and finding out the, the next great things that you're going to be doing and wishing you all the best of luck in your journey. We'll do it again in a year. Okay, exactly. All right, folks, thanks so much for joining us today. I look forward to seeing you next time during my office hour. Does your life feel like you're stuck in a holding pattern? Are you feeling like the life you most desire is passing you by? Well, if you're ready to make bold life changes but don't know where to start, schedule a complimentary sample coaching session with me. As a coach, I help professionals at all stages of life get unstuck and achieve the results they want most. Now, I only offer a few of these sessions each month and they fill up quickly. So just head on over to my website at www.officehoursdrmario.com and that's doctor abbreviated without the period and click on the book online tab to reserve your complimentary session. Together, we can get you on the path to living the life you've always imagined.